today. Thank you for tuning in today to Berkeley Evangelistic uh, Association. Uh, presently, we're doing a, a series study on man and sin, and we're up to our fifth lesson, uh, sin's sinfulness, sin's sinfulness. Today, we're going to talk about people that have no fear of God, the fear of God. Man in his natural state has no fear of God. It may be harsh to hear, but this is not only the language of the scripture, but it is the nature of the unbeliever. So we're going to look into this and uh, see what it is about the fear of God. And we're going to talk about this uh, in, in depth. But we want to open up with a word of prayer and uh, thank God for this opportunity that we have to study his word and to listen today uh, as we do this study together on sin's sinfulness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this beautiful day that you've given us. Father, thank you for this opportunity we have to teach and broadcast a lesson about your word and about the meaning of the scriptures and fearing you reverently uh, in our lives. Father, we thank you for your blessings that you bestow upon us each and every day. I thank you for all those that are listening uh, Father, I pray for their well-being and their health. I pray that if there's any sick and afflicted, Lord, that you would have mercy on them, touching them in the name of Jesus, healing and lifting them up. And Father, be with us through this day, through this lesson. Open our minds and our hearts to receive your word and your teaching. And bless me, Lord, that I deliver this in a way that's pleasing to you, that will give you glory and lift up the name of Jesus. We pray this in his precious name. Amen. Now, if we look in Psalms 36, verse 1, we see that transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. The transgression speaks to the wicked, speaks to the evilness, the sin that's deep in the heart of man. And it says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Okay, then in Romans uh, chapter 3, verse 11 and verse 18, we see this. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. And then in verse 18, it says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So when we say sin's sinfulness... What does that really mean? First of all, I would believe that man is his, or excuse me, man in his natural state without God is a sinner for sure. He is a sinner for sure. But when I see it as sin's sinfulness, it reminds me that it has the ability to grow into something even worse than it actually is, and that it is actually alive and it will possess and destroy those that it can. Okay? Man does not comprehend his inward state of evil corruption. Corruption, His lack of fearing God comes from the condition that originated as a characteristic at the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. As we've done this study now through five lessons, notice that we continually go back, have to go back to Adam and Eve in the garden. Now, the reason for that is because we're talking about sin, and sin originated in the garden. 
And so we keep going back there to reference that because each one of these studies is presented in the broadcast as a separate study within itself. So if someone was to pick that up halfway through the study and didn't know what where the sin was without saying it was from Adam and Eve, uh, there would be confusion. Now in man's heart is a never-ending stockpile of evilness, which begins in the mind. It manifests itself in numerous ways, both in thought and in deed. Jeremiah, the prophet, identifies it quite well in the following verse. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can know it? It is so wicked and deceitful. Well, God knows it. God is the only one that knows the heart of men. And that's the reason that we need salvation because God knows our deceitful hearts and he knows how far that we will go or how deceitful that we will be. And it takes Christ and the love of God and the grace of God to keep us and keep us our sin that's in us, the deceitfulness that's in us from growing into something that's worse. And God wants us to stand with him in his righteousness. And it is from the bottomless and continuing center of wickedness that such a disposition to where God originates. The idea, no fear of God was not part of man as created by God. God never created us to be fearful. In Second Timothy, we said before, uh, God does not give a, uh, um, a spirit of fear. He gives us a spirit of power and a sound mind and a sound mind. So if I have a sound mind, the reason I have that is so I can think soundly, correctly, responsibly in favor of God, knowing not to fear God because he is for me and not against me and he didn't give me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power through the Holy Spirit. But the potential for such was obviously a uh, capability from the beginning, just as death was not part of man's original creation, but the potential for death was a possibility. The same impulsive event that brought us death for mankind also started the condition that produces no fear of God and even hatred of God by those God has made. Now, point number one here is to have no fear of God is to have an improper outlook towards God. It is, in fact, to be opposed to God or better yet, to be an enemy of God. Point number two. It is to fail to hold God in an awesome view. Okay, if I don't fear God, then I can't look at him as something awesome. God's a creator of all things. God can snap his fingers and end the entire universe. He's just snap his finger. He can speak to the storm and make it depart, leave, comment. Could you imagine someone speaking to a raging typhoon or a hurricane, if you will, and it just dissipates and goes away because someone spoke to it. That's what God does. Consciously rejecting his high and divine position is what we do when we don't recognize when we fail to hold God in an awesome view. We consciously reject his high and divine position. Point number three is to fail to give worship and praise to God on the throne. 
The lack of fear means that one does not recognize his sovereignty and therefore does not submit to his authority. Number four, it is to reject the responsibility of ourselves to be accountable to him. Number five, it is to live as though God is not needed. Hmm. Now we went through all those four steps about not recognizing who God is, not not uh, giving praise to His divine powers, uh, rejecting His responsibility, thinking that we're not accountable for anything, and we're getting to a point here that we've come to the conclusion that we live as though God is not needed. Now all five of these steps bring us to number six, which is in the world today and is very, very uh, strongly supported and broadcast uh, the the uh, the public itself gets a hold of this and tries to uh, cram it down everybody's throat if you will and I'm talking about atheism point number six it is atheism so when I take all five of those negative things that I just read it equals atheism not fearing God shows a personal corruption that is in the inner parts of our beings. The heart of man is wickedness that is ever-present and is constantly tempting. Consider the first verse above, Psalms 36, verse 1. Transgression speaks uh, to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. Transgression is a perfect example and it is speaking at the innermost area of the wicked, deep in his heart. The last part of the verse explains why this is possible. There is no fear of God before his eyes. There's no fear of God before his eyes. So the absence of fear creates an environment that is rich for the activity of evil. If I don't fear God, then the devil can let his evilness grow and progress in me until it turns into something that I don't want. Now, the evil thrives in this environment, speaking, instructing, and tight. Now, this is the evilness speaking to the person. It's tempting. It's evil thrives. It grows in the environment of the heart. It's speaking, instructing, enticing, tempting, seducing, and leading the listener farther and farther away from God. That's how Satan works, folks. He drags us down into the pit, drags us down into hell itself, trying to keep us away from God, and God is reaching and begging and crying out to us to come to him and be saved through Jesus Christ, his precious son. This is what Paul meant about the devil blinding the unbeliever, keeping them away from salvation and God. This is exactly what he was doing. He drags them down into the pit to the darkness so they can no longer see the light. Now let's look at Psalms 36.1 in the New King James Version and find a different view, if you will. An oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. With this translation, the oracle becomes the following statement regarding the absence of fear of the Lord in the wicked. Okay? No fear before the eyes indicate that individuals is living without God, with no thought of God, with no consideration of God in the affairs of his, of his life. 
And there's people like that today. I know several people that are living like just exactly like that today. They don't have no thought, no fear of God before their eyes. And I know some other people that uh, have gone to church and accepted Christ, and they're backslidden, and they're they're out of the uh, fellowship with God, and they in, they they go about their lives living without God, with no thought of God for that day, and have no consideration of God in any of the affairs of their lives. They do things and, and make uh, uh, spend large money or buy a large uh, what do you call it valuable things like cars and houses and stuff like that uh, without even praying or considering God that it's something that God would want them uh, to do. When when we make large purchases like that's going to require uh, years of credit of making payments of which that's the cars and houses basically what we have to do today to even buy them. But um, we need to pray and ask God that it would be something that he would approve of. Okay? God needs to be in everything in our lives. He wants to be involved in everything in our lives because he loves and cares for us. But in this case, God does not matter to them. God is not seen. He is not before their eyes. It does not matter whether God is formally rejected, that is, his being is denied, for the non-fear is living as though God does not exist. Okay, so it, when you do this, you're it's atheist. If you do this and you live as though God does not exist, you are an atheist. And into this void created by the rejection of God's wickedness rushes speaking and instructing the individual to engage in all types of evil pursuits, including murder, rape, drugs, alcohol, trafficking, prostitution, and so forth and so on into the, the heavy crimes, felonies in the world, in America, if you will, without God, evil dominates. Now, the absence of fearing God only reveals an inflation of oneself. Okay? If I'm not fearing God and I don't care about God and he's not in my life, I'm inflating Myself, I care about me. I want to get me lifted up. So Psalms 36 verse 2 in the English Standard Version reads, For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. Okay, he flatters himself in his own eyes, meaning the individual man, that his iniquity or, or evil doings cannot be found out. In other words, God can't find out this stuff. But they need to understand that God knows all things. And we see in the rejection of God, there's an increase of turning to self. If I do not fear God, then I become my own God. So much so that I believe that my iniquity will not be discovered and hated. God can't find my, my iniquities. He can't hate my iniquities because he can't find me. I am a God within myself. I am free to pursue my own agenda with no recourse. In verse 4, the psalmist states that the one with no fear devises wickedness on his bed and sets himself in a way that is not good. Without fear of God, there is freedom to abandon oneself to evil and evil deeds. The scripture speaks condemningly about the lack of fear of God. This reveals an importance of having the fear of God and addresses that 
it addresses the absence of fear as something negative so the opposite of negative equals the positive which is a pre in the present of fear in the presence of fear and this must be found in the individual the scripture speaks condemningly okay so the scripture does not have any favor for this it condemns it it condemns the fact that there's a lack of fear of God it reveals the importance of having the fear of God the scripture tells the importance of having the fear of God it addresses the absence of fear as something negative it says if you don't fear God that's a negative that's a negative in your life so the opposite of negative naturally equals positive which is a presence of fear so if we have fear of God then that's a positive for us if we don't have the fear of God it's a negative for our lives and it must be found in the individual itself now constantly the scriptures teach the fear of God so let's go through a few of these okay Psalms 2 verse 11 serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling Proverbs 1 verse 7 the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge Proverbs 9 verse 10 the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom okay Psalms 33 verse 8 let all the earth fear the Lord let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him Psalms 34 9 oh fear the Lord you his saints for those who fear him have no lack here is the conclusion of the matter okay in Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13 fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man this is a duty of man as told by the scripture now you need to understand Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon King Solomon has been declared in the history of the world as the smartest man ever was ever will be and ever can be other than God King Solomon was so smart that he was the smartest man in the world ever will be no one's ever going to be as smart as Solomon was and he says fear God and keep his commandments for this is your whole duty of man it's our duty to keep his commandments fear God first Peter 3 17 revelations 14 7 fear God and give glory to him we need to understand that if we don't fear God and give glory to him that he will uh, deal with the sin in our life and bring glory to himself he does not need us to glory him to bring glory to him he can bring glory to himself by demonstrating himself before others saints and, and the angels in heaven and bring glory to himself without us without us He'll just destroy us and put us in the lake of fire. Fearing God is a foundation for living. For without fear, there is neither wisdom nor knowledge. Before him, there is to be trembling and awe and the giving of glory. To fear God is a whole duty of man. Amen and amen. Now, before him, there is the trembling and the awe. We look at God and we tremble at the fact that he not only can he destroy the body but he can destroy the soul and the, and the spirit and we stand in awe because he is just so magnificent 
in all things that he does, he knows all things. Every, he knows everybody. He knows every breath that we take. He knows exactly how many hairs are on your head. He knows what you're going to do in two minutes from now. He knows what you're going to do tomorrow. He knows what you did yesterday. He knows when you're going to die and so forth and so on and so on and so on. And God knows everything. So we need to fear that. It's our duty to fear that reverently. Love him, fear him, reverence him. Okay, so there's a hatred of God. A hatred. There are several references made in Scripture to the hatred of God and the hatred of his Christ. In Psalms 21, verse 8, it says, Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out, find out uh, those who hate you. Psalms 139, 21. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not love those who, who uh, rise up against you? In Proverbs 8.36, All who hate me love death. It speaks of the personification of wisdom. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you, John 15.18. This is Jesus saying that, uh, and we see this today, that the Christians are being persecuted and hated by lots of different people in the world and Jesus says don't be alarmed by this know that they hated me first they hated Jesus enough that they destroyed and killed him put him on the cross but the Bible says don't fear those who can just kill the body but fear the one that can kill the body and the soul we just said that uh, God can put your soul and and destroy it in the second death if, if he wants to but because of you are not of the world but I chose you out of the world therefore the world hates you John 15 verse 19 whoever hates me hates my father also now Jesus is saying whoever hates him also hates God because God is his father so that's a that's a pretty serious accusation John 15 verse 23 there uh, they have been or excuse me they have seen and hated both me and my father John 5 24 they hated me without a cause, John 15, 25. Jesus said they hated me and crucified me, and I didn't do anything to them. Okay? That's like being, you know, go go to your own trial, and, and you're guilty and didn't have a jury, and they just took you out there and hung you and, and didn't even ask you no questions. And, and they hated Jesus. They, they killed him. And they didn't have a cause. All opposition to God arises from within, from thinking and plotting the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. And when it's in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, if eternally, uh, if, if eternally there is no fear of God, which is a negative feature, then on the positive side, because of the absence of fear, there's no hatred of God. If you don't fear God, that means you don't believe there's a God to fear. Then how can you hate somebody that you don't that, that's not there? So there's no hatred of God. But man does not have the fear, therefore he does not have the hatred. Because of the lack of fear, there is the lack of hatred of God. This is a natural response to the lack of fear. And one can't hate something that one does not fear and believe in. Okay, that's basically what we just said. Hatred against God from the heart of the wicked man, who God knows exists and is real, yet the wicked conceal the truth about him 
as said in the following verses. Romans 1, chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by the righteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that uh, have been made so they are without excuse. Out of this scenario, the wicked from Adam forward resents God, desires to overthrow God, and in fact, hate God. The unbeliever hates the one he knows deep within his heart is there because if he is there, then the unbeliever is accountable and the unbeliever refuses to accept accountability. Okay. So we know that we're sinners. We know that we do things and, we, and there's a price to be paid for our sins uh, before God. And we know this. But if we admit to this, then it, proves, it shows that we have uh, accountability for our sins and we don't like that. So God is either... Is either ignored or denied. But to assume either position is to stand in opposition to God and in the end results in hatred of God. To have hatred of God is to have no regard for him. It is to rise up against him, to oppose him, and to be his enemy. The hatred of God is rejecting who he is and everything he says and has done in his existence. It is the senseless attempt of man to blot out any thoughts about God when it comes to decisions about practical living or in intellectual pursuits. Man says, God has no place in the area of morals. I am free to do as I please. Then again, God cannot be tested, so academically he is non-existent. So in all that have uh, been said here, we see and know that God has been removed from the workplace and the schoolroom. The concerted actions of the unbelievers reveals a deep hatred of the God they know cannot be ignored. They know God can't be ignored. They know God is there, but they, they fictitiously put in their mind they're going to hate God, that he's not there, and they, re they refuse to accept the fact that he is there. But he cannot be ignored. Okay, the hatred of God will not allow God to be what he is. The Lord of creation. It is a denial of his sovereignty. God must be allowed to rule that which he has brought into existence. This rejection of God creates an immeasurable vacuum in the thinking and in the living of man. The vacuum must be filled with something. So man fills it with himself. He becomes to himself his own God and thus replaces the true God with the beautification of himself. So this human-based morality, which is atheism, replaces a belief in the one and the only true creative God. So in Psalms 139, verses 19 through 20, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. 
Those who hate God are called his enemies and are said to speak against God with malicious intent. A speaking that reveals a mixed, or excuse me, a fixed and evil disposition. It is active opposition to God. The opposition is to display of hatred, a hatred that has malicious intent. Those who form this group are called enemies of God. Those who do malicious intent, those that hate God, those that uh, speak against God and have an evil disposition, an active opposition against God, are his enemies. You are an enemy of God. How can you fight a battle with God? This relationship of hatred and opposition is seen in the treatment of Christ. Several times in the Gospel of John, Christ speaks of the hatred of him, a hatred that consistently and violently opposed him, that led finally to his crucifixion, to improperly esteem Christ is to reveal hatred of his Father. And once again, it says in John 15, 23, He who hates me hates my Father. John 3, 20, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Okay? And what it's talking about here, that, that uh, everyone who does wicked sins, wicked things or sins, hates the light, hates God, not only God, but hates Jesus because they represent the light. Okay? So the hatred uh, would not allow Christ to live. It wanted him dead. And when we look in the scriptures and we review uh, in all four gospels the the, the uh, trial and everything of Jesus, there was nothing legal about anything that the Jewish priests did that day as they brought Jesus to Pilate for his uh, punishment or his sentence to be killed or crucified. So the hatred would not allow Christ to live. It wanted him dead and wickedly worked toward that end. They wickedly did what they did to have Christ destroyed, killed, thinking they were doing God a favor by getting rid of this heretic. They thought Christ was a heretic. They didn't even have the understanding to know that Christ was the Son of God and was uh, predicted in the Scriptures by prophecy that Christ was coming the way that he came, and they didn't even know that. They didn't realize that. The conclusion is inescapable, that those who hate Christ and want him removed from all areas of life also desire that the God of heaven be removed from heaven and no longer rule with a rule that requires accountability. People, we're going to be accountable for our sins, whether we want to be or not. We can, we can study this and, and look at all the different prospects of uh, how we don't like this and we don't like that. And it's not going to matter. God's, going to, God's will is going to be done in heaven as it is on earth as it is in heaven. And those sinners, those people that hate God and do not obey and show him reverently fear him and so forth, are going to be accountable and be judged and punished for what they do. That is a fact. That's what's going to happen. Now we're going to look next at the reason for Jesus. We have come now to this reasoning of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. Up to this point, we have spent a significant amount of time and energy discussing and explaining 
sin, but so far we have no remedy for it. We can't go much further with the hopelessness of the sin curse of mankind without rejoicing in what God provided to us to solve the condition of the sin to start with. While it is so true that because of one man sin entered into all men, yet through one man salvation is brought in the payment for the sin debt through Jesus the Christ to save all those who believe in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. In the book of Romans, we are taught that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. In Leviticus, we learn that blood is the life of the body. Without it, there is no life. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God the Father, John 3.16. He was without sin and unblemished, giving himself as a sacrifice for the sin debt, which ended in the defeat of Satan. It ended in the defeat of Satan and death, uh, redeeming mankind, and through God's grace saved mankind from the curse of the second death that was brought upon us through the sin of Adam and the second death being a spiritual death in the lake of fire. By believing in Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection, salvation is given freely. This is a gift of God's grace. By loving Christ, one can receive forgiveness and salvation. Failure to love Christ is to face certain judgment. If there is no repentance for the evil, for not to love Christ is to be cursed. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22, you shall not bow down, or excuse me, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Deuteronomy 5, 9 through 10. You shall not bow down to him or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Moses also informs the people in Deuteronomy 7, 9, 10. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Related to this is the fact that believers who do not hate God but love him honor him and worship him are hated by the world which hates the God and his Christ and the believers adore that that the believers adore now John fifteen eighteen. if the world hates you know that it also hated me before it hated you to be identified as believers is to be hated by non-believers a lot of people reading this may not concur with this verse but sin causes this hatred sinners will remain in the darkness hiding their sins and evilness thinking God is unable to penetrate their darkness every person in mankind lays naked before God he knows and sees all things knowing or excuse me nothing is hid from him even in the darkness now it must be remembered that this issue of hatred regenerated by unbelievers towards believers is not personal it is not personal it exists on the spiritual level they don't like you but not because of who you are but because you are a Christian and you love the Lord the believer in God is hated because the God of the believer is hated by the non-believer 
The follower of Christ is hated because those who do not follow Christ hate the Christ followed by the believer. So it's about Jesus and God, not about the us as individuals. The intensity of one's hatred of God relates to one's perversity to sin or in sin. To increase in hatred of God is to give oneself more fully to the practice of sin. The prophet speaks of those who, in Micah 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 2, hate the good and love the evil. It is impossible for one to remain neutral. If good is hated, then the evil is loved. If the evil is hated, then the good is loved. Every individual is constantly moving in one of these two directions, either towards the right or towards the wrong. Psalms chapter 14, verse 1, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Scripture confirms this movement. Following the denial of God, there is the doing of abominable deeds. On the other hand, hear the words of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is, the, is to hate evil, Proverbs 8.13. One's attitude toward evil is inseparable related to one's feelings towards God. If there is no fear of God, therefore there is no hatred of God. Then evil flourishes. But where fear of God prevails, then evil is hated. Okay? Where there is a fear of God and it prevails, then evil is hated. The believer is not only to love the good, but is to hate the evil. We say, I do not uh, hate that individual person, that unbeliever. I don't hate him. I love the person, but I hate the, the way he does. I hate the things he does. We hate the sin, the evilness. Again, there can be no middle ground. There's no middle ground in the beliefs and position of an individual. Hatred of God by unbelievers provokes in the lover of God hatred for the one who hates God and hatred for evil deeds. We are taught in Christianity to love others as we love ourselves. However, we are not to love their ways or their sin, but instead share with them the truth of the gospel of Christ. This is to say, plant a seed, or maybe just to water a seed that had already been planted. But we must understand that God brings the growth when he is ready. We cannot force or push it, for this only brings a pulling away attitude and hinders God's work. Jesus Christ was the answer to the sin that we're speaking of in all these different verses. Jesus Christ is the answer. He died on the cross. He paid the price for each and every one of us to have salvation. Okay? He didn't cause any sin. He didn't sin himself, but he died for our sin. So through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, by believing in that, we can be saved through God's grace and have eternal life with him. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to pay anything. It's a free gift from God to us. Okay? We just have to accept it. God wants to be with us. He wants to fellowship with us because he loves us, and Jesus loves us. Jesus says he is our friend. I want him to be my friend. Will you let me be your friend? That's what Jesus says. Will you let me be your friend? And 
We want him to be. We love Jesus, and we want him to be our friend because in him is eternal life. In him is the the uh, spring of living water. Okay, if you will, and all the things in Revelation that talks about the the eternal kingdom, Jesus is the reason for all this. It is through him that we have our salvation. Thank you for listening today, and we have our closing prayer, and uh, we'll we'll be looking next time in uh, study six and be the consequences of sin. We're going to look at the consequences of sin. Okay, so let's pray. Father, we thank you today for this opportunity like uh, we had to study the Word, to study about you, to study sin, to talk about people that hate you and, and uh, how that, that uh, life is uh, cruel sometimes to, to the aspects of, of fearing you and having reverence to you. But Father, let it be known that there are many Christian people, including myself, that love you and respect you. And we have the utmost fear for you because we understand that you are God, that you are the divine, righteous, glorified, honored creator of all that we know. You hold everything in perfect harmony and everything works perfectly as long as you're in control of it. Father, please never look away. Always uh, look upon us with favor as we try to do the best we can to serve you and to lift up your name and to glorify you. Now, Father, I, I pray that you receive glory for all that we do today. I pray for any that not, not be saved that would accept Jesus today and that the heavens would rejoice because one might have come today to be saved to accept Jesus. Now go with us through this day. Bless all those that are hearing and listening today. I, get, I pray that you would be with them and bless them with a double portion of your grace and your mercy. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. sinfulness. Today's scripture. Hebrews 11, 7. By faith Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Bible in a year, 1 Kings 8-9, Luke 21, 1-19. No fear of God. Man in his natural state has no fear of God. It may be harsh to hear but this is not only the language of the scripture but it is the nature of the unbeliever. Psalms 36, 1. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart, there is no fear of God before his eyes. Then again in Romans 3, 11 and verse 18. None is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So when we say, sin sinfulness what does that really mean? First of all I would believe that man in his natural state, without God, is a sinner for sure, but when I see it as sin's sinfulness it reminds me that it has the ability to grow into something worse, it is actually alive, and it will possess, and destroy. Man does not comprehend his inward state of evil corruption. His lack of fear in God comes from the condition that originated as a characteristic at the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. In man's heart is a never-ending stockpile of evil, which begins in the mind, it manifests itself in numerous ways, both in thought and deed. Jeremiah the prophet identifies it quite well in the following verse. Jeremiah 17 9. 
the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked, who can know it? And it is from this bottomless and continuing center of wickedness that such a disposition toward God originates. This idea, no fear of God, was not part of man as created by God. But the potential for such was obviously a capability from the beginning, just as death was not part of man's original creation but the potential for death was a possibility. The same impulsive event that brought us death for mankind also started the condition that produces no fear of God and even hatred of God by those God has made. 1. To have no fear of God is to have an improper outlook toward God, it is in fact to be opposed to God or better yet to be an enemy of God. 2. It is to fail to hold God in an awesome view, consciously rejecting His high and divine position. 3. It is to fail to give worship and praise to God on the throne. The lack of fear means that one does not recognize his sovereignty and, therefore, does not submit to his authority. 4. It is to reject the responsibility of ourselves to be accountable to him. 5. It is to live as though God is not needed. Finally- 6. It is atheism. Not fearing God shows the personal corruption that is in the inner parts of our beings. The heart of man is wickedness that is ever-present and is constantly tempting. Consider the first verse above. Psalms 36 1. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart, there is no fear of God before his eyes. Transgression is the perfect example, and it is speaking at the innermost area of the wicked, deep in his heart. The last part of the verse explains why this is possible, there is not fear of God before his eyes. So, the absence of fear creates an environment that is rich for the activity of evil. Now the evil thrives in this environment, speaking, instructing, enticing, tempting, seducing, and leading the listener further and further away from God. This is what Paul meant about the devil blinding the unbeliever, keeping them away from salvation and God. Now let's look at Psalms 36 1 in the New King James Version and we find a different view. An oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. With this translation the oracle becomes the following statement regarding the absence of fear of the Lord in the wicked. No fear before his eyes indicates that the individual is living without God, with no thought of God, with no consideration of God in the affairs of his life. As far as impacting daily life God is a non-entity, he does not matter. God is not seen, he is not before the eyes. It does not matter whether God is formally rejected, that is, his being is denied, for the non-fearer is living as though God does not exist. And into this void created by the rejection of God wickedness rushes speaking, and instructing the individual to engage in all types of evil pursuits. If God is not before the eyes, then evil dominates. Now the absence of fearing God only reveals an inflation of oneself. Psalms 36, 2 reads, For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. In the rejection of God there is an increase of turning to self. If I do not fear God then I become my own God, so much so that I believe that my iniquity will not be discovered, and hated. I am free to pursue my own agenda with no recourse. Psalms 36, verse 4, Even on his bed he makes malicious plans. He sets himself on a path that is not good, and he does not reject evil. The psalmist states that the one with no fear devises wickedness on his bed and sets himself in a way that is not good. Without fear of God there is freedom to abandon oneself to evil, and evil deeds. The scripture speaks condemningly about the lack of fear of God this reveals the importance of having the fear of God. It addresses the absence of fear as something negative, so the opposite of negative equals the positive which is the presence of fear, and this must be found in the individual. Constantly the Scriptures teach the fear of God. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling, Psalms 2 11. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs 1 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
Proverbs 9:10. Let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him, Psalms 33:8. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack, Psalms 34:9. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man, Ecclesiastes 12:13. Fear God, 1 Peter 3:17. Fear God and give glory to Him, Revelations 14-7. Fearing God is the foundation for living, for without fear there is neither wisdom nor knowledge. Before Him there is to be trembling and awe, and the giving of glory. To fear God is the whole duty of man. Amen. Hatred of God. There are several reference made in Scripture to the hatred of God and hatred of His Christ. Your hand will find out all your enemies, your right hand will find out those who hate you, Psalms 21 8. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? Psalms 139:21. All who hate me love death, Proverb 8:36, speaks of the personification of wisdom. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you, John 15:18. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you, John 15:19. Whoever hates me hates my father also, John 15:23. They have seen and hated both me and my Father, John 5:24. They hated me without a cause, John 15:25. All opposition to God arises from within, from the thinking and plotting of man. Matthew 15:19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. If internally there is no fear of God, which is a negative feature, then on the positive side, because of the absence of fear, there is no hatred of God. Man does not have the fear, therefore he does not have the hatred. Because of the lack of fear there is the lack of hatred of God this is a natural response to the lack of fear of God. One can't hate something that one does not fear, and believe in. Hatred against God, from the heart of the wicked man, who knows God exists, and is real, yet the wicked conceal the truth about him is said in the following verses. Romans 1, 18-20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Out of this scenario the wicked, from Adam forward, resents God, desires to overthrow God, and in fact, hates God. The unbeliever hates the one he knows deep within his heart is there, because if he is there, then the unbeliever is accountable, and the unbeliever refuses to accept accountability. So, God is either ignored or denied. But to assume either position, is to stand in opposition to God and in the end results in hatred of God. To have hatred of God is to have no regard for Him, it is to rise up against Him, to oppose Him, and to be His enemy. The hatred of God is rejecting who He is and everything He says and has done in His existence. It is the senseless attempt of man to blot out any thoughts about God, when it comes to decisions about practical living or in intellectual pursuits. Man says, God has no place in the area of morals, I am free to do as I please. Then again, God cannot be tested, so academically He is non-existent. So in all that has been said here, we see and know that God has been removed from the workplace and the schoolroom. The concerted actions of the unbelievers reveals a deep hatred of the God they know cannot be ignored. The hatred of God will not allow God to be what He is, the Lord of creation. It is the denial of His sovereignty. God must be allowed to rule that which He has brought into existence. This rejection of God, 
creates an immeasurable vacuum in the thinking and in the living of man. The vacuum must be filled with something. So man fills it with himself, he becomes to himself his own God and thus replaces the true God with the beautification of self. So this human-based morality, which is atheism, replaces the belief in the one and only true creative God. In Psalm 139, 19-20, O that you would slay the wicked, O God! O man of blood, depart from me! They speak against you with malicious intent, your enemies take your name in vain. Those who hate God are called his enemies and are said to speak against God with malicious intent, a speaking that reveals a fixed and evil disposition, it is active opposition to God, the opposition is a display of hatred, a hatred that has malicious intent. Those who form this group are called enemies of God. This relationship of hatred and opposition, is seen in the treatment of Christ. Several times in the Gospel of John Christ speaks of a hatred of Him, a hatred that consistently and violently opposed Him and that led finally in His crucifixion. To improperly esteem Christ is to reveal hatred of His Father. John 15, 23. He who hates me hates my Father also. John 3 20. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. The hatred would not allow Christ to live, it wanted him dead, and wickedly worked toward that end. The conclusion is inescapable that those who hate Christ, and want him removed from all areas of life also desire that the God of heaven be removed from heaven, and no longer rule with a rule that requires accountability. The Reason for Jesus We have come now to the reasoning of Christ, the Lord Jesus. Up to this point we have spent a significant amount of time, and energy discussing, and explaining sin but so far we have no remedy for it. We can't go much further with the hopelessness of the sin curse on mankind without rejoicing in what God provided for us to solve the condition of sin. While it is so true that because of one man sin entered into all men, yet through one man salvation is brought in the payment for the sin debt through Jesus the Christ to save all those who believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. In the book of Romans we are taught, that without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. In Leviticus we learn, blood is the life of the body, without it there is no life. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God the Father, John 3:16. He was without sin and unblemished, giving Himself as a sacrifice for the sin debt, which ended in the defeat of Satan and death, redeeming mankind, and through God's grace, saved mankind from the curse of the second death that was brought upon us through the sin of Adam. By believing in Jesus and His death, burial and resurrection salvation is given freely, this is the gift of God's grace. By loving Christ one can receive forgiveness and salvation. Failure to love Christ is to face certain judgment if there is no repentance for the evil, for not to love Christ is to be cursed. 1 Corinthians 16 22. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Deuteronomy 5, 9-10. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I the Lord your God am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Moses also informs the people. Deuteronomy 7, 9-10. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments, to a thousand generations, and repays to their face those who hate Him, by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates Him. He will repay Him to His face. Related to this is the fact that believers do not hate God, but love Him, honor Him, and worship Him, and are hated by the world which hates the God, and His Christ that the believers adore. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. To be identified as believers is to be hated by non-believers. A lot of people reading this may not concur with this verse, but sin causes this hatred. 
Sinners will remain in the darkness hiding their sins and evilness thinking God is unable to penetrate their darkness. Every person in mankind lays naked before God. He knows, and sees all things, nothing is hid from him even in the darkness. Now it must be remembered that this issue of hatred generated by unbelievers towards believers is not personal. It exists on the spiritual level. The believer in God is hated because the God of the believer is hated by the non-believer. The follower of Christ is hated because those who do not follow Christ hate the Christ followed by the believer. The intensity of one's hatred of God relates to one's perversity and sin. To increase in hatred of God is to give oneself more fully to the practice of sin, the prophet speaks of those who. Micah 3, 2, hate the good and love the evil. It is impossible for one to remain neutral, if good is hated then the evil is loved, and if evil is hated then good is loved. Every individual is constantly moving in one of these two directions, either toward the right or toward the wrong. Psalms 14, 1 The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt, they do abominable deeds, there is none who does good. Scripture confirms this movement, following the denial of God there is the doing of abominable deeds. On the other hand, hear the words of wisdom, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil Proverbs. 8 13. One's attitude toward evil is inseparably related to one's feelings towards God. If there is no fear of God and therefore there is no hatred of God, then evil flourishes, but where fear of God prevails, then evil is hated. The believer is not only to love the good, but he is to hate evil Amos 5:15. Again, there can be no middle ground, there is no middle ground in the beliefs and position of an individual. Hatred of God by unbelievers provokes in the lover of God hatred for the one who hates God and hatred for evil deeds. We are taught in Christianity to, love others as we love ourselves. However we are not to love their ways or their sin, but instead share with them the, truth of the gospel of Christ. This is to say, plant a seed or maybe just to, water a seed that had already been planted, but we must understand that God brings the growth when He is ready, we cannot force or push it, for this only brings a pulling away attitude and hinders God's work.